Ah, yes, it's that time again. Just when you think you have it all figured out, something comes along that makes you question everything. This is Unexplained Incorporated, and we are open for business. This is Unexplained Incorporated. I am your host, Phantom Phil, and welcome to May. As I am posting on the first of the month, and I'm so happy to be here with you. We made it through April. I think it's probably one of the toughest months to make it through uh, this year, and uh, hopefully it all goes uphill from here, and I think it will. Well, Coming up a little bit later on, I'm going to give you the full rundown of the May schedule. It's all booked. It's all together on Unexplained Incorporated. And we have some stuff coming up, or I should say just me. I have some stuff coming up you will not believe in the coming weeks. But after all, that is the name of the show, or the motto, open for business and ready to believe you. No judgments here. All open minds. We all make our own conclusions on what we hear on this program. So special thanks again to Amanda Drago for stopping by and having a great chat on psychic and energy work last week. She will be a recurring guest every single month on the podcast. Her next appearance coming up at the end of May, the last Friday of May, which I believe is around the 29th. In the meantime... We're going to be having our first edition of the Psychic Mailbag. If there's any question you've wanted to ask a psychic or an energy healer, this is your chance to do so. AmandaDrago444 at Hotmail.ca or PhantomPhilUnexplained at gmail.com. Also, if you want a story featured in the Close Encounter series, it's going to have to wait till June because we have a very special one coming up this month. I still want to hear from you. You can get a hold of me at phantomphilunexplained at gmail.com. All one word, as I hate hyphens and underscores. I find they just confuse everything, and I don't use them unless I have to. Also, I uh, opened up a new Facebook page this past week, so you could check out Unexplained Incorporated on Facebook. It's got about 30 likes already. Going to be posting uh, notes and show materials, special announcements in there. And very recently, for the first time, and I'm talking ever, 
because uh, I've been living in a cave apparently these last 15 or so years. Uh, I finally got myself onto Twitter. You could follow at PhantomPhil3 on Twitter. Give us a like, tweet at Unexplained Incorporated. Going to put show notes on there as well. But please do uh, bear with me. I am still brand new to the Twitter game, believe it or not. And uh, it might take me a little while to get going on that. And also, if you haven't listened or subscribed on the major podcast platforms like Apple, Spotify, Deezer. I'm losing track of all of them, but we're on several platforms. And uh, don't forget Buzzsprout. New website is up for the show exclusively, unexplainedincorporated.buzzsprout.com. You can listen through the player on that site as well. And I look forward to hearing from your stories in the near future. But like I said, it probably won't be until the month of June because May, believe it or not, is already booked up. I can't wait for that. We're going to get into that later in the show. But for right now, I'm uh, sticking true to the format I laid out at the beginning of this program when I first posted at the end of March. If you missed that episode, I recommend you go back and check it out. But in the meantime, I'll give a brief explanation here. So the first Friday of each month, as this is the Friday Night Fright after all, is a case study. And what that means is is I'm going to look at either a TV show or a movie Something that's big in pop culture, and I'm going to talk about the fantastic story about it that was brought to the screen, and we're going to go behind the real story that inspired the so-called fictional story on the screen. It's kind of like a comparison, and to see uh, what the filmmakers nailed, what they didn't, what could have been done better, it just goes on and on. But uh, the very first one I did at the beginning of April was about The Exorcist, And uh, once again, if you haven't listened to that episode, please go back, help yourself. You're going to get my breakdown on the fictional and the true aspects of The Exorcist, the true story it was based upon, and Phantom Phil, myself, my own experience at the age of uh, 18, I want to say, going to see The Exorcist director's cut in theaters. Oh my heavens, what a surreal experience that was. That's one you don't want to miss. The movie today is going to shift us into a radically different direction, and it's one that uh, some of you who know me well who listen probably didn't see this one coming. But I think it's very appropriate given the episodes we have uh, coming up here in the coming weeks and the fact that it is May 1st, and I saw this movie back in theaters in uh, late May of 2008. may have been June, but it came out late May 2008, and the movie is... Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Yes, that's right. I know what you're thinking. So many people out in Cyberland say, oh my God, that movie is horrible. It sucks. The plot is so unrealistic and fantastic. This has nothing to do with frights or horror. Phantom Phil, what the hell are you doing? Have you lost your mind? Not quite. Bear with me here because... I decided I wanted to go in a different direction for this case study and do something based on extraterrestrials. With that being said, um, extraterrestrials appear in many movies and some of them are blatantly obvious and are based on, you know, the usual things like Roswell, Area 51, if you will, and a lot of other famous events. However, with Indiana Jones in the Kingdom of, of the Crystal Skull, 
I found that there is, in fact, a true story tied to this movie that is completely shrouded in mystery. Some will say the alleged events talked about in this are true. Others say it is complete, absolute baloney and it's all fake. As for me, I'm not 100% sure where I stand on that one, but uh, once I lay down the facts, uh, I will let you, the listener, decide. Hit up the Facebook or Twitter pages. Shoot me an email. Love to hear your thoughts and feedback. As uh, Now, on a personal level, I enjoyed this movie because it is completely absurd. There are tons of plot holes, but it was shot, written, and laid out like a vintage Indiana Jones movie, but except 20 years ahead in the future, as this one takes place in the 1950s and not the 1930s. And I thought the film had a lot of real cool charm to it, plus a fun, absurd story where you could turn your brain off and just kind of go with it. Because let's face it, like not every single movie or piece of entertainment that we watch or consume has to be classic to be enjoyable. Like, let's call it what it is. Call it guilty pleasure, whatever you want. Upon repeated movies, or repeated viewings, excuse me, there are parts of this movie that make me cringe and laugh in disgust. However, I still give it a marginal thumbs up as, like I said, it's just a fun, absurd adventure from start to finish. So let's get to the story behind the absurdity and how this film was originally going to be made and shot in the early to mid 1990s and was delayed almost 15 years because believe it or not nobody wanted to direct it which is really crazy if you think about it because even though this movie got a lot of negative reviews and hasn't had uh, a kind glance towards it in hindsight by many uh fans and critics, it did clean up at the box office and uh, made a killing. And in fact, I think within the next year or so, we are supposed to see a fifth installment in the Indiana Jones series with Harrison Ford, which is really beyond belief to me because they really could have ended it at this one. But uh, time will tell to see where that one goes. But for now, we're just going to focus on the movie and the back mythology of the Crystal Skull. So like I said earlier, Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull released, I believe, May 22nd, 2008. Now, the previous three Indiana Jones movies are quite interesting. As uh, with Raiders, we get the Nazis trying to dig up and claim this old religious artifact. Um, The Sankara Stones are in Temple of Doom out of a remote Indian village. That have these special powers, powers, and Last Crusade, once again, we're back to the Nazi regime hunting down the legend of the Holy Grail, which is a cup that could supposedly give one eternal life. So each of these movies, all three of them have the main parts of their storyline based in history. I'm not too familiar with the Sankara Stones in India, But it's clearly documented that Hitler and his Nazi crew were completely fascinated with occult items, ancient history, ancient 
religions and philosophies and went on secret covert missions to try and recover artifacts like the Lost Ark. So the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull is no different as Indy, uh, Shia LaBeouf, who ends up being Indy's son, and uh, the KGB of the evil Empire Soviet Union, because remember this is now the Cold War years, the Nazis have been defeated and are no longer the superpower in direct confrontation with the Western world. So we got this crew of the Joneses and the Russians who are brought to South America to chase down the legend of the Crystal Skull. And this too, like the Lost Ark, the Sankara Stones, and the Holy Grail, were believed to have some special powers. So in this installment, they are chasing yet another artifact hidden deep within the realms of the Earth. And whoever controls it is either going to use it for good or use it for evil. A very similar theme in uh, this fourth installment. And uh, in a little while, we're going to get to the backstory behind it as there's a, a pretty lengthy one, like I said before. So the Crystal Skull is discovered in Peru in the movie, which is where most of the movie ends up taking place once they get out of the United States. The movie also references this phenomenon known as skull elongation as tribes and many skeletons over the years have been discovered with extra long skulls that kind of look like, you know, the xenomorph in the alien movies. And it was believed that certain tribes elongated their skulls, had this procedure done to honor certain gods. And those gods are allegedly alien beings, extraterrestrials, whatever you want to call them. It gets referred to in this movie too, which was also a cool tie-in. So where did this thing come from? Well, the story came from the brainchild between... Well, this story came from the brainchild behind the Star Wars saga, George Lucas, who also had a big hand in uh, getting the Indiana Jones movies created. Lucas had the story, like I said, I think about as far back as uh, maybe 1994. Harrison Ford and George Lucas were game to team up together and bring Indiana Jones back to the screen. This idea got pitched to Spielberg and he didn't like it. He said he had done Close Encounters of the Third Kind and he had done E.T. And that was it. He was done dealing with subject matter having to do with aliens. He just had no interest and uh, this script lay dormant for quite some time. Lucas has gone on to say that he is fascinated with crystal skulls. And years later, he finally convinced Spielberg to shoot the movie with, I guess, him and Harrison put enough pressure on him. And he says, we're not going to do the movie about aliens and ones that are invading Earth. We're going to do it with interdimensional species or something along those lines. <laughs> To try, to try and uh, sweeten the pot for Spielberg. And Spielberg just kind of rolled up his eyes, put his hands up and said, all right, you got me, let's do this thing. And uh, Spielberg was never really keen on doing this because uh, he's gone on to publicly say that after Last Crusade, when the characters rode off into the sunset in the desert, he had that last shot for a reason and he didn't want the franchise to come back. Or if it came back, he didn't want anything to do with it. But he probably was the best man for the job in terms of recreating the vision of 
vintage Indiana Jones like I feel this film does. So I guess there's one strike against the movie that Spielberg didn't really want to do it in the first place and maybe didn't put his best effort towards making this a great film that could have been, but I mean, that's always up for debate and there's nothing uh, we can do to change about it now. And another connection to reality from the movie was uh, the character beautifully played by Kate Blanchett of the KGB who tries to use psychic warfare on Indiana Jones and other people in the movie. And uh, spoiler alert here, but when she ends up dying at the end, her death scene is reminiscent of what is known as the 13 Skull Prophecy, which I'm going to get to in a little while. But uh, basically, all the interdimensional knowledge shared by all these skulls of what used to be extraterrestrial beings all get projected into her head and basically her head explodes because her head is now filled with too much universal knowledge and she just can't handle it. So it's always an ironic death in Indiana Jones. And if you watch every single movie, all the villains like anybody else in the archeology span game are curious to find and uncover certain powerful artifacts. However, when their curiosity turns to greed, they always get killed one way or another. And this movie is no different. So, I mean, there's a very strong theme about not messing with powers you don't understand. And the villains in the Indiana Jones franchise seem to have no clue about this as they fall into the trap every single time. When Indy says an artifact belongs in a museum, there's most likely a very good reason for it. So keep that in mind. And before I get to the backstory, that pretty much sums up most of the movie there, unless you want to go ahead and watch it on your own. I had a Rolling Stones Crystal Skull vodka case. I got it for Christmas one year. Don't ask me why, uh, because I really don't know. I mean, I like the Rolling Stones at all, but I'm not much of a vodka drinker. And this isn't something, you know, I I was desiring to possess exactly. But anyway, it ended up as uh, in my lap as a Christmas gift. And uh, long story short, about a month later, I moved out and I didn't get my hands on the vodka. It got drank on me, so I got returned with an empty crystal skull. So I never actually got to try the Rolling Stones vodka, but I'm sure it was very, very good with the right mix. But this just goes to show, and this was about five years or so after the Indiana Jones movie came out. So I just bring that up to show that the concept of the Crystal Skull has dug into all kinds of corners of pop culture. And we're going to see why that happened right now and why George Lucas initially had a fascination with Crystal Skulls and then had David Kipp, the famous screenwriter, turn it into a script for Spielberg to direct as the fourth Indiana Jones movie. The story Lucas was so fascinated with goes along the lines like this. The story starts with an English explorer named Frederick Mitchell Hedges. 
The character of Indiana Jones himself is believed to be loosely based on Hedges, which I can totally see as Hedges was a wild man with a lust for adventure and grandiosity and uh, had a, what do we say, a thirst for danger, so to speak, and would go on all sorts of dangerous expeditions in the 20s and before uh, to uncover certain artifacts. So the Crystal Skulls, there are believed to be 13 of them throughout the world. They are believed to have paranormal and healing powers. And it is said in legend, they were deposited to the Navajo and other ancient tribes around the world by the sky people. Remember what I said earlier about the ceremony of skull elongation mimicking the gods? Most likely those gods and the sky people are connected, if not the same thing. So what we're going to explore now while diving deeper into this story is going to be a combo of reports from Mitchell Hedges and his family and ancient astronaut theories, as with the ascension of the History Channel's Ancient Aliens and many other programs like it, especially on the Gaia streaming service, this phenomenon has taken on a role to new heights. So we're going to explore from both of those perspectives. So while Mitchell Hedges went on a lot of archaeological digs and adventures in the deserts and the jungles and whatnot, he actually had no formal archaeology training. And some will dispute that all of his findings over the years were in fact fraudulent because unlike the Indiana Jones character, who was an actual university professor, uh, Hedges had no formal trainings and yet was always seemed to be at the right place at the right time for some of these. He found the crystal skull. This is the first one to be discovered in modern times in 1920s in Central America at ancient Mayan ruins. Now, this was known as British Honduras at the time, this colony. It is now known in the modern day as Belize. In fact, Belize, the director of archaeology for Belize, sued the studios for Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull because there was too much likeliness to the skull in the movie, too much likeliness to the Mitchell Hedges skull, which was discovered in Belize in the 20s. And they wanted direct credit. They didn't get it. I don't know if the lawsuit went anywhere or was settled out of court. But this is how strong this finding is in regards to the culture of Belize. Hedges was also a believer in ancient Atlantis and clung to the theory that Atlantis became a Mayan civilization, and this is maybe where the crystal skulls were first made or first formed. The skull became known as, in an ominous fashion, the skull of doom. Scary stuff, I know. Not very pleasant sounding. And it was believed to have been around 3,600 years old and used by the high priests of Maya. Now this is where things get a little bit fishy. Even though this is written in legend by Mitchell Hedges, um, how he discovered the skull remained a secret he took to his grave. So how it was found, how it ended up in his hands, was never known. 
and to this day I don't believe is uh, is known. And on one of his adventures, he took a liking to a little girl at age of 10, where to the point where he ended up adopting her as his full-time daughter. And this woman is known as Anna Mitchell Hedges, and she would become the gatekeeper and the spokesperson for the Crystal Skull throughout the entire world until her death in 2007. Legend has it, even though it wasn't officially known or proven, that Anna found the Crystal Skull and had it taken back to England and had it remain secret. Now, once again, this is where parts of the story get a little muddy. As a, a British artifacts dealer named Eugene Boban had acquired the British and the French skulls. There was one that uh, was discovered at, or mysteriously dropped off in Paris. Boban acquired both of them, and he already had a reputation for selling fake artifacts and had been arrested for it before, and he was trying to do the same with the crystal skulls. So after Boban tried his hand in handling the skulls, it ended up back with Anna. Uh, Frederick Mitchell Hedges would pass away in 1959, and Anna is the only surviving member of this expedition. And of course, given the circulation and the association the skull had with various people, Anna was called out as a fake because there was no documented discovery, this perfectly carved, perfectly polished crystal skull appeared in her possession, and yet one of the main people around it was dead. One was a known liar and con man, and she had it as a young girl and kept it in secret. And yeah, like I said, the whole thing is uh, just a little fishy. So what happens then? Um, other crystal skulls would pop up in other parts of the world as well as the prophecy is believed to have 13 skulls from a lost civilization and when all of them come together it will unlock ancient knowledge that us humans were meant to know this is just like Cate Blanchett's death scene in the kingdom of the crystal skull as 12 skulls surround her when she puts the final one on the head of the torso and then she's in the center as the 13th mind. And if you look at diagrams of the legend, it's the exact same layout as that scene in the crystal skull. So 13 of them have not been located and brought together, but uh, some of the ones that have been recovered are held in museums in Paris, London, and the Smithsonian Institute in Washington, D.C. But the Skull of Doom, the one that was in Anna Mitchell Hedges' possession, it was solid quartz crystal. And in order to get the smoothness and the detail of that design, it was suggested that the skulls had to be polished and not crafted by tools, because if it was crafted by man-made tools at the time, there would be little chips and dents all over it, and there's no way it would be as polished and smooth and as glitzy as it turned out to be. So after being called out as a fake and trying to decide what to do 
with the skull itself in the early 60s, Anna donated the skull of doom to examination by a branch of the Hewlett by a branch of the Hewlett Packard Corporation. It was a real tongue twister for some reason out of California, and they determined but that the skull couldn't be carbon dated so they could not tell when it was made and what it was made from. I tell you, the mystery just keeps wrapping up in this thing. It's unbelievable. Also in certain findings, the skull contained piezoelectric findings which showed that the skull had some sort of consciousness to it and it was said by Anna Mitchell Hedges herself, take this for what it's worth, that the skull could predict global disasters by sweating, and that was the way of displaying its consciousness. And the story got so strange, it was featured on popular British television show Arthur C. Clarke's Mysterious World in 1980. After Anna became quite an age, she sold off the skull to a man named Bill Holman. Holman would take this thing all around North America and the world and would feature crystal skulls, or at least the skull of doom, at psychic and crystal expos. I've probably ran into this at a time or two at an expo or two I have been to, and I seem to remember there might even be some... uh, Replica, replica skull in the Ripley's Believe It or Not Museum in Niagara Falls. But don't quote me on that, but I do know this thing has been toured around the world and has been touted as having mystical healing powers, even though nobody has been able to prove it. However, Carol Wilson, a famous medium from right here in Ontario, conducted seances with the skull. And she declared that the skull runs like a pre-programmed computer and that it in fact does have a consciousness, which is really unbelievable. Hedges also made the same claim, which she got under great fire for, as she said that the skull could have premonitions, cure cancer, or if used inappropriately, cause certain death as if it was like a curse or something so anna mitchell hedges would die at 100 years old in april of 2007 she created the legend around this whole thing allegedly she had a vision of jfk's assassination before it happened through the skull but i don't think she reported it to anyone and if she did i mean at the time who would have believed her anyway and when I say that the, the skull can cause certain death, if you looked it directly into the eye, allegedly it would place a curse on you. Now, a lot of this is very unfounded and is all speculation at this point. But the thing that strikes me is when Carol Wilson, accredited medium, says that this thing runs like a pre-programmed computer and has some kind of a consciousness... That's when, you know, my spidey senses start going and I'm like, wait a minute, maybe there's something to this. Because when you start going on about having visions and causing cures of illnesses, it sounds like carnival snake oil sales tactics to me. But I mean, back then, those types of things sold tickets. They sold admission to those types of attractions. So it almost was 
wasn't a concern, if it wasn't real, you paid to go and make your own conclusions for these types of promises uh, back then. Which brings me to uh, another skull owner named Phyllis Newman. Newman claims that the skull talks to her telepathically and has to keep it in a closet so it doesn't talk to her all the time. Whereas on the other side of the coin, famous doctor from the Smithsonian Institute in Washington, D.C., Jane Walsh, researched the skull for 16 years as a crystal skull ended up delivered anonymously to the Institute back in the 90s. And it took them a long time to research it. And uh, she can neither confirm nor deny any of these fantastic claims and powers that the skull was supposed to have. Dan Aykroyd last fall gave an excellent interview on the Joe Rogan experience. And this subject amongst many others came up where um, he stands by what the Hewlett Packard study says back in the sixties, the 1960s, I should say saying that uh, the design could not be made by modern man-made tools and if it wasn't that who polished and designed it, then who was it? And Dan Aykroyd also was on that very podcast selling a new brand of vodka, which like the Rolling Stones one, came in a crystal skull. So uh, very cool that he brought that up. I mean, he went on to say that, yeah, a lot of the associations of the mystical powers and the curses were maybe bogus. However, it could not still be determined how and why these crystal skulls were made. Also, when this thing was toured throughout the 20th century, it is allegedly said that people who laughed off the curses or didn't believe the powers of the skull and utterly denied them allegedly died or became seriously ill. So, I mean, make what you want out of that. Is it a curse or is it a placebo? We don't know. And, uh, we may never truly find out. But the prophecy of the 13 skulls is still a very fascinating one to look out to as skulls have appeared from Mexico, South America, and East Asia. And the prophecy goes is if the 13 skulls are reunited, it will unleash energy or information that will transform our very world. So that's all I have today on the background of Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Regardless of where you sit, whether you think the magic of the skulls is real or if it's just snake oil garbage, I'm really interested to know what you think. I mean, there's definitely a mystery surrounding the origins of this thing, and I don't think the explanation is quite so simple. And is it all an elaborate hoax to have marks depart with their cash? Or is it really an otherworldly creation from the star people? And is it up to us to link them all together to unleash a prophecy, which is very closely connected to the 2012 Mayan calendar prophecy? Hard to say, but... Either way, we should definitely keep our ears to the ground to see where the mystery of the crystal skull will take us next. And if you're in the mood 
to shove your face full of popcorn in this quarantine, turn your brain off for a couple hours and just watch a fun, absurd action movie, I recommend Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. I hope you enjoyed this case study edition of Unexplained Incorporated. I am Phantom Phil. Let me know your thoughts. Drop some comments on the Facebook page for Unexplained Incorporated, Twitter at PhantomPhil3, or shoot me an email, phantomphilunexplained at gmail.com. Same goes for the Psychic Mailbag and the Close Encounter series. So I promised earlier about what will be coming up in the month of May. Well, I'm going to tell you right now, we just did our case study, which means next week, our second Friday of the month, is going to feature an interview. And this is going to be part two of my chat recorded on uh, Good Friday with RRLC Paranormal, Ron and Leslie Knowles. We talked about their terrifying and traumatic hauntings they experienced as a family that got them into the business. Now we discuss tales from their experiences in the field, the paranormal investigative business as a whole. And you're going to find out that if you're in ever of need of one of these services and the investigative team charges you money, run away. Yes, all that and more next week in the conclusion of my chat with Ron and Leslie. But the big one for this month, folks, is the Close Encounter series. I recorded an interview that I knew was going to blow my mind, but I don't think I was quite ready for some of the info I was about to receive in this one. I spoke to a man who not only has had close encounters with extraterrestrials, but in fact has formed relationships with them and has been given incredible insights as to how to raise not only our own individual consciousness, but the consciousness of the world as well. And this interview was so lengthy and so loaded that I had to split it up into two parts. And since we have an extra Friday this month, we have five of them in the month of May. Part one will be going in the middle of May. Part two will be the following week. So you will get a two-part Close Encounters series this month. And then at the end of the month, we're going to wrap it up with Amanda Drago and the Psychic Mailbag. Going to be a huge month, but I am looking for some of your stories to share with me in the month of June. So we'll get on that phantomphilunexplained at gmail.com once again. Well, it's that time to wrap it up. So I just want to say, stay healthy, stay strong, and most importantly, stay curious. But not curious to the point of greed where you get yourself killed like the Indiana Jones villains. We don't want that. In the meantime, this is Phantom Phil, and the doors of Unexplained Incorporated are now closed.